This is Blaze Reardon, and you're listening to Pro Lacrosse Talk. On drivers. Higher whip, scores! Now it's Fidel scores! Ball Rabel splits two and scores! Kylie O'Miller showing off those shifty skills and finishes that shot behind Liz Hogan. Kelly, not shy, bounces one home! What a start! Welcome to the Pro Lacrosse Talk podcast. I'm Hutton, he's Adam. Together we have all the latest news from all your favorite professional lacrosse leagues. We're happy to have you for another episode of Pro Lacrosse Talk. As usual, I'm Hutton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Adam. Adam, how are you today? I'm great, man. Ready to talk some lacrosse. We have a lot going on, especially from last week, being at a few games, and then whether it's the leagues that are in season right now or the leagues that aren't in season, there's a lot going on. Yeah, no, definitely a a busy show today. You know, we have the PLL playoff format they just released we're going to talk about, um, the NLL protected players list. And then over the weekend, we obviously watched the PLL and the WPLL play in Baltimore. Um, so we have some post-game interviews for you guys today as well. Um, so yeah, busy, busy show, but it should be a good one, and hopefully you guys enjoy it. So let's get started with our fast break like we always do. Uh, in the MLL, the Blaze defeated the Rattlers 13-11. to um, The Blaze are now 2-1. and The Rattlers fall to 0-3, still looking for their first win. The Cannons rolled past the Lizards 18-11. The Cannons are now 3-0, and the Lizards are still looking for their first win as well at 0-4. In the PLL, the Redwoods defeated the Chrome 13-11. The Chrome are also winless, uh, while the Redwoods get to 2-2 off a big day from Jules Hennenberg. We're going to talk about him later in the show. Um, The Atlas fell to the Whipsnakes 15-10, or you could say Hopkins fell to Maryland as they were billing it. Um, really close game. The score kind of got away from the Alice at the end, uh, but we'll definitely touch on that as well. A historic day for the PLL in terms of fan attendance at Homewood in Baltimore. And our final PLL game, the Chaos hung on to defeat the Archers 14-13. They got off to a big lead. The Archers fought back, but unfortunately it was too little too late, and that was uh, one of the games we were at, so we'll definitely touch on that later today as well. And in the WPLL, for the two games we were at in Baltimore, the Brave got their first win against the winless Fire, 13-9, and the Fight defeated the Command, 16-9, to remain undefeated. So that's your fast break. Um, Now we have a new segment called the Quick Stick, and these are some quick hits that we want to talk about um, from around the leagues. And our first one will be the NLL is partnering with U.S. Lacrosse and now requiring teams to take cultural awareness courses, which I think is an awesome idea. Um, it's coming off the heels of a season where we had the Wings announcer, um, who was later fired, trying to get the fans a chance, snip the ponytail when Lyle Thompson and the Swarm came to town. So, um, you know, that's obviously unacceptable. The Wings handled it in the proper way, but I definitely think cultural awareness training is um, something that is important for the leagues to, to push on these teams. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that it's still an issue in today's sports culture. Um, but especially with regards to the game of lacrosse, which has such historic and um, deep Native American roots, that it's important that we, you know, really recognize and embrace different cultures within the sport of lacrosse. And, you know, lacrosse is for everyone, and we want to definitely um, promote that within all aspects of the game. So I think that's a big one. Um, the MLL announced fan voting for the All-Star game. They're going to have more information, they said, coming out in the next couple of days. Um, this is the first time that fans will be able to vote on the All-Star game since 2012, so the first time in seven years. And then in the PLL, we had a few trades and transactions occur. On Wednesday, we had uh, the Chrome traded Brendan Fowler to the Archers for the Archers' fourth-round pick in the 2020 draft. Fowler hasn't played at all this year. Um, he's dealing with some injuries, uh, but it will definitely add depth to the Archers. Stephen Kelly is doing all right, but he's ranked fifth right now in face-off percentage currently. 
And then you had the Chrome also acquired Joe Fletcher from the player pool, which is, amazes me that the former Loyola defenseman wasn't on any of these rosters beforehand. Um, you know, he's a world champion, four-time All-Pro, and three-time All-American at Loyola. So definitely will add some needed presence on the defense for the Chrome. And then the Archers traded midfielder Joe McCallan to the Whip Snakes in exchange for a fourth-round pick in the 2020 draft. They also grabbed Michael Simon from the Atlas restricted roster and added him to their travel roster. The Chaos have claimed Mike Bocklet from the player pool and sent James Barclay down to the player pool. So Bocklet will be joining an already crowded attack, but you know we'll see if he'll get some time in the coming weeks. Now we're going to discuss the PLL playoff format that just came out. And we talked about this earlier, Adam, how we were looking at the schedule and we were kind of confused why there's three weekends of playoffs for a league that only has six teams. Yep, absolutely. So it's, it's pretty exciting, absolutely innovative. Haven't seen this type of uh, style of playoffs before um, in professional athletics. Um, but what will happen week one is the number one and two seeds in the PLL after the regular season will play for a chance to directly go straight to uh, the PLL championship in Philadelphia. Um, after that, the three and four seeds will play one another. The winner of that game will face the loser of game one to go to uh, championship weekend in Philadelphia. The loser of the number three and four seed will actually go into a different bracket, which will be teams vying for the first pick in the 2020 PLL draft. Uh, so the only seeds not officially in the playoffs are uh, the number five and six seed, but they will still be playing during playoff weekend as they will face off um, to have the opportunity to win that first pick. So the no- winner of the number five and six seed um, will advance to the championship of the first pick um, tournament, um, and then the loser of game two and game three will face off for their opportunity to get the first pick uh, in the 2020 draft. So it's pretty unique. We haven't seen something like this in the past. It's super interesting as well that uh, the number three and four seed are actually kind of in two brackets at once, depending on uh, how how that number two game goes um, for those seeds. So number one and two in the playoffs, no matter what, for, for that championship weekend, uh, five and six out. Um, those three and four will kind of waver depending on how that first weekend in Columbus goes. Yeah, no, and if you uh, if you guys are listening to us and you're feeling like um, you're reading, you know, a large math equation on the chalkboard, it's it's a lot simpler than it actually sounds. Um, they pretty much did this so that way the top two seeds from the regular season get a chance at the championship, even if one of them loses. And um, it's very interesting format, and I actually really like it because it really rewards. The winner of the regular season, um, and it's almost like a double elimination in some way. Whereas, if you end up winning that first game as the one or two seed, um, you still only have one chance, you know, to win the championship. But you're automatically in. It's like you get a, a buy the next round. Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting concept, but I love it because it, it does three things: it prevents teams from tanking, um, it rewards regular season play, and you know, gives us more lacrosse to watch. You know, where it's not like these five and six seeds are just done at the regular season. You know, they're still playing. And I really think it's going to, you know, provide a lot more competitive games. Not that the games haven't been competitive enough, but, you know, now you're watching the most evenly matched teams play each other. 
because yeah. the one and two are playing, the three and four are playing, and the five and six are playing in the first round. Um, yeah, so I love it. Um, it's definitely a little to wrap your head around. We're, you know, we're working on what-ifs right now. We don't actually have the teams. Um, but, you know, there's a very good breakdown on online that, they, that someone released um, that kind of explains it, you know, using actual teams if they were seated today. I'd really be interested to see if other sports, you know, adopt this. You know, you're not going to see the major sports really change their playoff format this drastically. But um, it is an interesting idea, um, and it really does address you know, the issue of teams tanking at the end of the year, and maybe you'll, you'll see more, more games played for draft picks. Um, that's, it might be a little bit harder to do with the players' associations, um, you know, wanting to avoid injuries. But definitely an interesting, innovative idea by the PLL. They've shown that they're going to push the envelope um, with really anything. They're going to, you know, question the status quo, and I think this is another innovation that will hopefully pay off for them. Yeah, and you know, it, it's super interesting because it's been talked about in the NBA, load management, all of those types of things. Players just aren't considering, in most leagues, the, the regular season um, that big a deal anymore. And it's super interesting as well to think about um, founder Paul Rabel's um, really strong connection with Damaris Smith, who's uh, the head of the NFLPA, uh, NFL Players Association. He was actually there on uh, Saturday night. Um, so he, Paul Rabel, Mike Rabel, and, and the crew have had lots of talks with other players' associations and, and, and what, to see what their players are looking for. And since this is a league for the players by the players, they clearly got um, their fellow teammates' input as well. So it'll be super interesting to see um, if this is a petri dish for other leagues to kind of follow after. No, absolutely. Um, so we're going to take a quick break. Um, you'll hear a word from our sponsor, and then we'll go into the post-game sound that we received from the Chaos Archers game in Baltimore. All right, so welcome back to Pro Lacrosse Talk. Uh, we are now about to dive into the Chaos Archers game. We were in Baltimore for this game. Great game. It looked like the Chaos were going to run away with this one early, um, but the Archers clawed their way back, particularly in the fourth quarter and made it a game even until the last seconds. The Archers had the ball um, with around 17 seconds left. They couldn't get anything done, and the Chaos held on to get their third straight victory, and they're looking like the hot team. Uh, we were able to speak to Blaze Reardon after the game, who had a phenomenal game in goal, you know, recording 76.9% save percentage in the first half um, and finishing the day with 21 saves. So let's hear what he had to say about the win for the Chaos this weekend. All right, Blaze, how did you guys think you guys did today on defense, and how are you going to keep rolling? Yeah, uh, it's a good Archers team we played against. Uh, I think we played good for about 40 minutes. Uh, the eight minutes that we let down, you could see that they put a couple in, but overall just a great team win. And how was this atmosphere this weekend, being in Baltimore, which is a traditional lacrosse hotbed? How was the atmosphere? Uh, it was great. Uh, the fans showed out last night. It was incredible, and uh, without them, the game's not nearly as fun. So I uh, appreciate all the fans that came out and all the supporters that uh, tune in online. So you just heard Blaze talking about the Chaos's win on Sunday. Um, we also got to speak with Will Manny, who was on the losing end, and he kind of talked about what the Archers did well and what they could have really improved upon in their failed comeback this Sunday. So, Will, you had a comeback right at the end. You kind of put your guys within one. Unfortunately, the comeback fell short. What do you guys think you can improve on um, from this loss and take into next week? Putting in a full 48 minutes. Uh, I think the first half was one of the worst halves we've ever played, and the second half... We just needed to play good lacrosse, okay lacrosse. We played bad lacrosse in the first half, and mm -hmm. you could see what happens when we do. 
um, and we just played it with a little more energy in the second half. But you can't you can't play that flat for 24 minutes in this league. Mm-hmm. You could see what happens with that deficit at halftime. But the, the, the fight in this team was great. We had the guys were fired up in the locker room at halftime. But you, you have to put a better full game together to, to, in order for that to happen. And um, that's what hopefully we learn from this, and, and we could be more consistent next next Friday night. So Will obviously disappointed in uh, you know the Archers' performance. Um, like he said, they got to put four quarters together as opposed to one half. Um, they really looked sloppy in that first half, Adam. I mean, we were both there and saw it. They were just not connecting on passes, a lot of turnovers. You know, it just really didn't look like they were in sync. And it kind of took a, um, a little bit of a while to, you know, get going. I mean, they were down 10-4 at half, and it could have easily been 10-2 if it wasn't for a failed clear attempt that led to a quick restart and Will Manny getting a empty net two-point goal. Um, so, you know, it really was a tale of two halves for the Archers, whereas the chaos on the other end um, really put together a complete game. Didn't score any goals in the fourth, but overall, phenomenal day by the chaos and something we've really come to see um, from them all year. So tell me a little bit about what you saw from uh, the chaos in the Archers game. Sure, yeah, no. I thought this was a pretty intriguing matchup um, right off the bat. Just from, from the top style of play uh, that both teams um, have put on the field through those first few weeks. Um, the chaos, they, they're fitting to their name. They're pretty chaotic. They're fast, run-and-gun offense on defense as well. Blaze Reardon is making outlet passes left and right after saves, after all 21 of his saves um, this past weekend. Um, and, and they're just a fun team to watch. On the other side, the Archers, super fun team to watch, but they're very methodical when it comes to their offensive sets. Once they got their stick work together in the second half, they got those, I guess, first-half jitters out of the way. Those passes were much more crisp in the second half, and, and that's when you saw uh, the chaos lead dwindle a little bit. And I don't know about uh, if you felt this way, but it was just I didn't think they were losing the lead. I, I felt like the chaos were, were playing really well still, but here and there those shots were going in for, for the archers, and before before I really noticed, they, they were right back in the thick of things going into the fourth quarter. So um, it, it was interesting to see just from a, a viewer standpoint that it didn't feel like they were losing the lead. I thought they were playing really well still, but at, at the last minute, um, the Archers almost made a complete comeback to tie it, but uh, it just didn't work out. So great game. It'll be interesting to see kind of where the Archers go from here after two straight wins, now two straight losses. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do going forward. And I think the Archers really did a good job of, you know, controlling those possessions um, in the fourth quarter. You know, that obviously led to their four-goal run, um, which, you know, made it a game, uh, you know, down 14-9 going into the fourth and then, you know, putting up four goals and blanking the chaos in the fourth quarter. It was a tremendous, you know, comeback effort at the end, showed the heart that the Archers have. But, you know, unfortunately, too little too late. Um, I thought it was funny that you mentioned the chaos as being this chaotic offense because I agree, you know, they can score in transition, they can score in six on six, but from the three wins we've seen from them, it's almost like they're checking boxes each week because you get Blaze Reardon having a minimum of 15 saves. He had 21 in this one. You have Connor Fields or Miles Thompson having a hat trick in a game, and then you have a long stick midi ripping two pointers, and Jared Newman has first four points of the season come from two shots and two two-point goals. So they can score all over the place, but it's funny that we keep seeing the same story for them each week, I feel like. Um, yeah. And I really think they're the, the best team in the league right now. 
Um, I know I was really, you know, singing the Archers' praises a while ago. I think they still need to figure some things out at the face-off X. Um, you know, a little bit more consistency from Kelly. But the chaos, I mean, they're dominant on defense. They convert in transition. They play fast. Um, they have a solid goaltender. Their attack meshes well. You know, you had, you had Connor Fields with a first-half hat trick and an assist on the day. Again, Miles Thompson, four points off of a goal and three assists and a beautiful behind-the-back goal. I mean, he should just trademark behind-the-back goals at this point because he has one, I feel like, every game. Um, And Josh Byrne, you know, he he had a solid game, too, with two goals and one assist. They're just consistent, um, which is funny from a team called the Chaos. They're just, they've been consistent week to week, and I really think Coach Towers has got these guys playing their best level of lacrosse right now. Let's see if they can hold on to it for, for the rest of the season. I'm excited to see what they do. No, absolutely. Um, so we're kind of going in reverse order here, but um, we're going to hit our mailbag question, which was from Berry 11 He said, just wanted to get your thoughts on the Premier Lacrosse's promo of the PLL Atlas and the PLL Whip Snakes this weekend and how they're basically just promoting it as Hopkins versus Maryland. I personally, I loved it. I thought it was great because you really are, you know, there's a lot of PLL fans. There's not a lot of fans of specific teams just yet. I think people are just starting to get into what teams they like, you know, four weeks into the season. Yeah. Um, but to build this as Hopkins, Maryland, is, one, a great way to get the Baltimore crowd out. Um, and, two, is just to, you know, make a storyline. Like, sports are about stories. We don't talk about that enough. But I think they did it, a phenomenal job of promoting it as a Hopkins versus Maryland. You know, they wore their old jerseys to the game, um, and obviously these teams are very Hopkins and Maryland heavy, um, and they yeah. wear their colors as well, you know, with Atlas wearing the Carolina blue and the Maryland wearing um, the red. So, yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great for the atmosphere, and, you know, they had their biggest attendance of a game yet. They sold out at Homewood, uh, eight, over 8,000 in attendance, and we had 16,700 on the whole weekend as a whole. Um, so really great weekend. You know, that's what we expected from Baltimore, but it was nice to see, you know, a really great game. If you want to talk a little bit about that, Adam. Sure. Yeah, this was this was a great game from the get go. You know, you had arguably a battle of the best two goalies in the league so far in Jack Cannon and Kyle Burnlore. Um, you had the, the battle of, of the Terps and Jays, like you said, Matt Rambo and Paul Rabel, um, two studs on both of their former collegiate squads came out to play in this one um and you know what it was super interesting to see um ben reeves kind of come out of his shell a little bit and be a great facilitator now that jules hennenberg may not be on the field obviously isn't on the field for them uh anymore he came up uh big for them mike chanichuk pretty much all of the terps came out to play uh, in, in this big one um as well but someone you, you talked about that carolina blue um Cloutier for the um, Atlas came out to play as well. Um, but this obviously close match between the first three quarters, but then when it came down to the fourth, um, Whipsnakes were able to, to put in um, more goals in the fourth quarter than they had in the first three scoring nine. Um, so it, it was a big one um, for, for the Whips to stay undefeated. We'll see where the Atlas turn from here. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like it really looked like the Atlas were going to pull out and win too at the end. Yeah. You know, they were up by two in the fourth quarter, you know, and then the Whipsnakes just went on a tear. I got to talk about the Matt Rambo goal from behind GLE. And this one goes out to every kid that shot behind GLE and had their coach yell at him. Because now 
Dr. Matt Rambo, who has a PhD in behind GLE, has proved that you can score from behind GLE. So I just love that shot. I still don't know how the physics work. Um, I'm not a scientist. Apparently, Matt Rambo is, um, in addition to being a chef, Chef Rambo. So a phenomenal goal by him, and he had a, you know, a phenomenal day. He really had that offense firing in all cylinders. Um, and again, good production from that attack group. You know, Drenner had three goals and an assist, and like you talked about, Reeves with his three assists and a goal. Overall, a really solid win by the Whip Snakes again. Um, and, you know, tip your hats to Atlas for playing really three and a half quarters. It was just that last fourth quarter that just really did them in. But you still had, you know, their top performers come out and play um, with Paul Rabel having two goals and two assists and his Hopkins homecoming. So I saw improvement from the Atlas. I think they're getting better as a team. I would say this is a moral victory for them. Obviously, they wanted the W, you know, and they wanted to get to two and two. And now they're sitting at one and three, but I think it's still they're on the incline. Whereas two weeks ago they looked like arguably the worst team in the league. So we'll see how they continue to improve on this as they go forward. So you mentioned a former Whip Snakes player who is also undefeated, but no longer on the Whip Snakes, Jules Henningberg. He had a huge day in his Redwoods debut. Five goals, three assists, the most points for a player in a single game so far in the PLL. Tell me a little bit about this guy's performance on Saturday. Absolutely absurd. He came out to play pretty much from the get-go. This, this game had, had a lot going for it. Not only did Henningberg come out to play, but it was an offensive affair from the defensive side of the ball, too. We had four long pole goals. Timmy Troutner for the Redwoods had an assist in this game, which obviously as a goalie I'm always looking forward to. But This, this was another close battle. Um, for both squads, I can only imagine what Dom Sarge is thinking uh, right now, considering he's lost four straight games and only by a combined five goals. But the Redwoods were able to pull this one out. Another really interesting face-off battle, Redwoods, uh, Greg Renlian um, in week three. Greg was the first ever face-off guy not to get a wild violation. Um, and then on the Chrome side, Drew Simino um, has taken every first face-off for the Chrome, um, but um, the Milkman, Farrell, um, has been kind of going back and forth with him um, from the face-off act, so they each uh, took 13, um, and both were uh, 6 of 13, so um, we'll see what happens. I'm surprised the Archers were the first to make a move. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, um, from a face-off person's perspective, um, I'm on the defensive side of the ball, but I can only imagine that you can't really get into a rhythm when you're going every other face-off or not getting that many touches in a row. I was just going to mention that. I'm glad you brought that up because that's what I was going to talk about is how you have two solid face-off guys, but how can you get into any rhythm when you're alternating face-offs? You know, and that's one of like the only times you're on the field. And I just don't think, you know, if you're sitting on the sidelines for three minutes, plus at a time um, because you're not taking every other face-off. It's, I don't know, it's got to be frustrating from a face-off specialist point of view. Sure. Maybe they're fine with it, but to me, I, I don't think it's smart. And honestly, I would, I would try to mix it up a little bit, maybe have these guys go longer, and then if they start to struggle, put the other guy in. Because they, they've both been doing decent, but, you know, I, I don't know. I have to look at the numbers on yeah. what it is after each win that they have. But you know, I'm always of the opinion you ride the hot hand and right now it seems like they have two okay face-off guys and they're not really doing much with either so 
I don't know. It's definitely part of the Chrome's problem. Really, the, the Chrome have been extremely disappointing this year. Uh, the only thing probably not disappointing is Coach Starzo's lawn because he loves to mow the lawn after a loss, and so far he's had four opportunities to do that. Um, but I, I got to ask you, Adam, are you worried about the Chrome? They're sitting at 0 4. I mean, we're not at the halfway mark of the season yet, but we're getting close, and, you know, they got to put together a run sooner rather than later if they they won't really want to make a run at the playoffs um and they're not going to have an easy task at hand next week against the chaos so you know what are you worried or are you kind of whatever with this right now i i definitely think i'm i'm getting worried um about the chrome you know they they've lost super close games and they've only out been outscored by by a total of five goals but it when it comes down to it they still lost those four games and we're just seeing what's going on with their defense. They're kind of struggling to communicate on the defensive side of the ball. And even on the offensive side of the ball, they've had failed clears, uh, offside penalties that have kind of plagued them. Um, so uh, we talked about the facilitation and kind of back and forth from the face-off X. Same kind of goes for the offense. I think Jordan Wolf he gets his points here and there, um, but he doesn't seem to be as dominant in, as he was um, in the MLL. And I think that's because he's not – really the facilitator anymore on the offense that's more been um his former duke teammate justin gutterton's kind of had the ball in his hands a lot more and rightfully so justin's having a fantastic start to the season but um they're they're still working through those growing pains of, of being a new team and not playing that long together um I'm, I'm i have to say i'm a little bit worried about them going forward despite um the success they've had, it hasn't resulted in the Ws, which at the end of the day is, is what you need. I think if you look at their team, you have a lot of guys on that team that could be the go-to guy, but right now they don't have a go-to guy. You know, Justin Gunnarding, two goals, no assists on the day. Jordan Wolf, one goal, one assist. I mean, they need more production from those guys, you know, and I really think that might be their issue because you look at the Archers team, their go-to guys, Tom Schreiber. You know, he, he doesn't have any goals in the first half. He comes out, has a goal, has two assists on the day. Um, you can even make the case that Marcus Holman's one of those guys, too. Um, so they, they have a guy. Whipsnakes, Matt Rambo, um, Ryan Drenner. You can even say Ben Reeves. I mean, they have those go-to guys, you know, that when they're clicking, they're clicking. Redwoods have that now in Jules Henningberg. Um, and, you know, I think Cavanaugh could be that for them as well. But I think he's been a little up and down this season, and now that they got Henningberg, I think he's going to be that X factor for them. Um, so if you look at all the top teams, they have a go-to guy. With the chaos, it's Connor Fields. I'd even make the case for Reardon because, you know, you have to have good goalie play. Um, and when you look at the two bottom teams in the Chrome and the Atlas, they don't really have that guy. And you can make a case that Paul Rabel is that guy for the Atlas, but he hasn't been playing it, um, you know, recently. He's He's done well uh, in the last two games, but it's not, you know, it's not Paul Rabel standards that we've been accustomed to seeing. So I, I think it, you know, I, I don't want to diminish the importance of having a solid team play, but you need that one guy to step up um, in the moments, and that's why they're losing these close games is they're not having anybody step up when they need to, and they're getting sloppy and they're having turnovers at the crucial points in the game, and that's not how you win games, so... Yeah, and I mean, even from the goalie side of things, John Galloway helped win um, a world championship for the U.S., but he, he was at 50% save average. And obviously, these are the best players in the world. It's going to be a little bit lower, but that that's not going to cut it. And he, he's even said that in post-game interviews. So we'll see what happens. 
I think going off of that is a good way to segue into our MLL discussion because we have Rattlers at 0-3 and the Lizards at 0-4. Again, disappointing loss for the Lizards. We'll start off with them. I mean, they're 0-4 now, and it's not even like it was a close one against the Cannons. You know, it, they, they kept up with them throughout the game, but the Cannons just were running it down their throats, essentially, on transition. They just, the defense just looked asleep all day, and I think they really have some weak points at midfield for the Lizards. They're not they're not initiating any goals from the midfield, really. Rob Pinnell's doing as much as he can, but, you know, he can only do so much. Um, you got to have other guys around Rob Pinnell. He makes other guys better, but when you don't have those guys, you know, you're going to end up 0-4, and I just don't think him and, him and Dylan Malloy are doing really well individually, but I don't think they're really uh, making each other better too much either. You know, it's a lot of good individual performances, but like we said, those don't win games. It's kind of like the flip side of the coin, whereas we're talking about how the Chrome kind of need one guy to step up. Um, the Lizards only really have two guys that are performing at a high level right now, um, and I think that's why they're sitting at 0-4. Yeah, and you know, it, this, this was an interesting one as well. We're, we're talking about new teams um, when it comes to the PLL. Um, MLL teams were, were kind of plagued by, by player movement to the PLL. Boston mm-hmm. Cannons, I believe, actually have lost the least amount of players yep. when it comes to um, the the MLL. They, they have the most unified group from previous years, and that that's what you see um, based off the results, I think. Mark Hockerton obviously had a huge game as usual. Just a really strong performance by a, a lot of players, um, whether it's Mark Hockerton, Zed Williams, um, just the bunch of the, the, the players on uh, the Cadets did a, did a great job. Uh, this week, obviously, on the offensive side of the ball. Um, and when it comes to the next game we'll chat about after this, the Rattlers, they lost the most players uh, to move into the PLL. So um, you're, you're kind of seeing uh, the results of that movement a little bit more now than you would would have thought uh, earlier on in the season. Yeah, no, I, I think that you hit the nail on the head with that. Um, like, like you said, the Rattlers are pretty much a whole new team. And um, they got a lot of young guys. They got a lot of young talent, but um, you know it's they they've been struggling to get get over that hump. Um, but you can't discount uh, you know their effort against the Blaze. They only lost thirteen eleven, and the Blaze are an interesting team because they have a lot of talent. You know you got stats. Um, you got Shane Jackson. You had Brian Cole from the midfield had a a big game. He had a nice backhand goal from pretty far out. Um, but they're letting these teams kind of hang around. They're one of those teams that I look at, the Blaze, and they kind of play down to their team's level. Um, yeah. So, you know, I th- still think they're in the top three. Right now I'd probably put them, Cannons, and Bayhawks in the top three. Yeah. Outlaws are sitting there too. Um, but they got to really figure out how to extend these leads. You know, maybe that's uh, winning more possessions at the faceoff. You know, Alex Whittall didn't have a great game. Yeah, so we'll see. Um, but I think, you know, the Rattlers lost to the better team. And the problem with me is the Lizards should be better than they are. And maybe we just overestimated how, um, you know, how good they would be after losing a lot of guys to the PLL. So we'll, we'll see. Um, but if I had to say who I'd be most, most worried about, um, I'd say the Lizards just because of the expectations. Um, you know, at the start of the season. And they're obviously, they have four losses where the Rattlers have uh, three. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see those teams play each other this weekend. Um, so somebody's coming home with a W. 
All right, so now we'll segue into our WPLL games that we were both present for in Baltimore. Um, some really great games. The scores didn't really do them justice because they were, ended up being a lot closer than the scores led on to believe. Phenomenal games, a lot of highlight-worthy plays. We had Kylie Olmiller making it at number eight on SportsCenter's top ten because of her behind-the-back goal. So really great effort from her. She had five goals, two assists on the day. Katrina Dowd also had a solid day with three assists and two goals. Taylor Cummings had five goals. And then you had Sam Apuzo with two goals. So they're getting production from all over the field for the fight. Um, so let's talk, dive into that game first, Adam. What did you see from that game? Sure, you know, um, Meg Taylor, the, the most recent Tawartan winner, first goalie to ever win, uh, played really well in her debut for the fight, made 10 saves on 15 shots in, in three quarters of play. Um, you talked about Taylor Cummings a little bit. She, she was all over the place, um, whether it was on the defensive side, having three cost turnovers, um, killed it at the draw control, as she usually does as well. Um, they have the most firepower of any team um, in the league, I think, the fight do. Um, you talked about Kylie Olmiller, and then they have a bunch of people we're not even referencing um, that have been playing so well. So um, the, the score was only seven different from the command, but they, they pretty much had it in the bag pretty early on um they it was 4-4 at one point but um they end up scoring nine eight of the next nine goals to make it 12-5 and from there it was kind of a, a done deal for the command kira sweeney had three and kenzie kent put two in um but it was pretty much all fight all day other than halftime when uh the command uh got their rings for being the champions of last season mm-hmm. yeah but i gotta give the command credit you know they battled back they came out stronger in the second quarter um, and even did pretty well in the third quarter as well but it just was you know it was like they were playing catch up all day um, to the fight and the fight just showed no sign of slowing down um, so yeah I definitely think the fight the only undefeated team left are the team to beat right now um, they have the most firepower as you said um, but the command even though they're sitting at one and two I don't think we can sleep on them just yet I think they still have a solid team um, obviously Kenzie Kent out of Boston College um, had a, a pretty good day, and you know, Kira Sweeney with three goals as well. But they're going to need them to really step up um, and really take over games like Olmiller and Cummings have for the fight. So we'll see um, where the command go. So let's go into then the first game of the day. I know we're going backwards kind of here, but the Fire versus the Brave, both teams looking for their first win. What did you see out of that game, Adam? Yeah, the Brave jumped out uh, to an early lead. At one point it was 7-2. to two. Dempsey Arsenault, Dana Doby, Brooke Griffin out of Maryland uh, early on from the fire side of things. Hannah Nilsson, a two-time Tawartan winner out of uh, Northwestern, had 3-3 three and three on the day. So she was pretty determined to keep the fire in. Uh, Taylor Van Thoss had two goals out of Loyola. That was an interesting uh, storyline that wasn't really talked about. Uh, Taylor actually was kind of going against her former assistant coach and Dana Doby on the day. So that was a pretty cool one. Uh, so at one point it was eight to seven um, and, and the fire were able to come back. You know, I, while we were watching, and I think I mentioned to you, it just felt like it was brave all day. And then when you look up, they're only down a goal um, and the fire were able to come back, but the brave were pretty dominant from the beginning from the draw control X and um, with Dempsey Arsenault and Mary McCool uh, were able to pull this one out. So, 
I think you touched on it, that the fire really battled to stay within this game, but it was just playing catch-up again all day. Yeah. Um, and I guess that was kind of the story of the both WPLL games is the teams that got off to the hot start were the ones that, um, you know, ended up winning. But um, I liked what I saw out of the fire. You know, right now they're the only team without a win. But, um, again, I think there's still some promise there um, just based on what we saw throughout the day, you know, from the booth. But, uh, you know, definitely disappointing for them um, going up against a brave team, also winless, to not get their first win. So they'll definitely look to get back on track. So that ends our uh, game recaps for this weekend. Like I said, a lot of great games. Uh, we were happy to be there in person for the Baltimore games. Um, really great event that the WPLL and the PLL put on. Um, but let's talk about one league that we haven't talked about a lot on this podcast because they're in their off season. But some big news coming up for them. Um, it's the NLL that released their protected players list right before their expansion draft next week. So the Rochester Nighthawks, the new Rochester Nighthawks, um, and the New York Riptide are going to be selecting um, for their expansion draft. So I'll talk about a couple players that um, I was surprised to see on uh, the unprotected list from the Buffalo Bandits. Corey Small, he was their third leading scorer, ended up with 74 points last year. He's a 10-year vet, I'm sure. Um, one of the two expansion teams will, will like his veteran presence uh, on the field. Tyler Richards is the backup goalie uh, for the Calgary Roughnecks, the, the the champs this year. They're pretty set at goalie going forward. Uh, so he's a former starter in Vancouver and Washington, and I could see one of the two teams picking him up um, to be a stable presence in cage uh, going forward for them. Someone that I don't expect to be picked, uh, but I, I laughed when I saw that he was on the unprotected list was John Grant Jr. for the Mammoth. Um, I don't think he's going to be coming out of retirement or playing for anyone else. <laughs> as in, in seeing that last year, the Mammoth actually retired his number. Um, so I thought that was kind of a funny one to see on the list. Um, there, there's a lot of players that I do expect to, to, to be taken in this one, though. From Halifax, a.k.a. Uh, the artist formerly known as the Nighthawk, uh, Chris Bushy, uh, had 36 points on the year this year, 56 ground balls for the former Nighthawks, Brandon Robinson on their team as well. Um, he had a strong first season um, for them. So those two names are, are younger guys that I could see um, being taken. Um, some vets, um, Brett Manny um, is a defender who played for the Black Wolves, formerly of, of the Philadelphia Wings, played in all 18 games last year. He's a name to, to stick out um, or to, to keep note of that I could see going back to Philly, actually, in a, in a player trade. If you saw last year, a lot of players were selected by the Wings and the Seals and then were actually utilized as trade bait to either trade up in the draft, in the actual um, collegiate draft, um, or trade back to former teams um, for draft compensation or players that they weren't actually um, interested in. So that's just a name to keep out there, maybe potentially a move back to Philly for him. He's from that area, and I believe still lives there. So um, speaking of Philly, another strong veteran, 12-year vet, Jordan Hall, had a great season um, with the new-look Philly Wings last year, had... 10 cost turnovers, 67 points, 92 ground balls. So he's someone, obviously, that a lot of teams will be have interest in. Um, from Saskatchewan, Jeff Shatler um, was their third leading scorer um, and had 86 ground balls for them. There's a bunch of guys that I can see um, definitely getting selected from those rosters. And it was just funny. Um, I talked about 
John Grant Jr. a little bit. The San Diego Seals had a bunch uh, have a bunch of PLL guys um, that have played and not played. So they have Joe Walters, Garrett Apple, Marcus Holman, all un- unprotected. And interesting enough, kind of the two front guys for them when it comes to um, who they talked about, who they helped present uh, the Seals in their expansion year, uh, were the Dawson brothers and, and Dan and Paul, uh, and they were unprotected. And they're trying to play chess to see um, if there's players they can hold off not protecting um, and the likelihood of them getting picked. Um, PLL's Paul Rabel is actually on the un- unprotected list for the Toronto Rock. He hasn't played for a while. He, he had a cup of coffee with the Stelton Wings back in the day, um, but I, I, I don't foresee him um, getting back into the box game. Um, but there, there's a lot of really strong players that, that were unprotected, so we'll see what happens going forward. But there's obviously some strong talent out there to be had. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think it just speaks to the tremendous effort that the NLL has done having these two expansion teams. You know, they had 11 teams last year. Now they're adding two more to bring the total to 13 teams. So definitely a healthy league, and that's definitely healthy for the sport of lacrosse to have so many teams present throughout both Canada and the U.S. right now. It'll be interesting to see what the rationale for, for each team is taking different players. You know, there's a couple guys like Ian Lord, who's a solid defender um, for the Colorado Mammoth last year. But he played seven seasons in Rochester. And I'm curious if Rochester, there's a bunch of players that have previously played for the for the older Rochester team. Um, I'm curious. I know there was some, some flack and backlash. Um, when the team was moving. I'm curious if the new leaders in charge will utilize some of that um, nostalgia of Rochester team's past to bring them back. Yeah, no, that definitely a interesting thing because they did, they did unveil a new logo that wasn't too drastic of a change, um, but the new color scheme going with the army green and silver is definitely a change from the you know teal and black and purple that, that the Rochester Nighthawks of old wore. So definitely interesting to see. Um, what they do there, and then what the New York Riptide do as well, playing at the Nassau Coliseum. So definitely a lot to watch. Uh, We'll definitely have coverage of that on July 9th when they have the expansion draft, so feel free to tune into our social media channels and our website for all the coverage on that. So this brings us to our game picks of the week, where we pick the games and who we think is going to win in the coming weekend of lacrosse. Adam is sitting at 3-4, and four, whereas I am sitting at 5-2. and two. So Adam's got a little bit of ground to make up this week. But I'll start with you, Adam. We have a game on Thursday night between the Rattlers and the Outlaws. Who are you picking in that game? I think this one's a pretty easy one. But just how I'm talking and how my last week went, maybe not so much. Um, but I, I'm taking Denver in this one. Um, Rattlers are still trying to figure things out. Um, and Outlaws have looked good, so I'm going to take the Outlaws. I'm going to take the Outlaws as well. They're at home. Um, they've had a lot of rest. I think the Rattlers are still trying to figure out you know, what their identity is um, as a whole, so I'm going to go Outlaws in this game as well. So then on Saturday, we have three games throughout the day. They're all kind of lumped in together. We have Denver Outlaws at Cannons um, for our first game at 5 p.m. Who are you picking in this game? Yeah, I think the travel is the only thing holding me back from picking the Outlaws just because they are playing back-to-back games, Um, you know, one at home in Denver on Thursday and then another on Saturday in Boston. But just have a gut feeling that they're going to come out strong against the Cannons. 
I think Zach Currier is going to have a big game, and same with Brendan Kavanaugh. Um, and who knows, you know, maybe John Grant Jr. will actually have a slightly bigger impact in the game too. He's he's done well when he's been in there, but he hasn't played all that much. So I, I, I'm going to go with the Outlaws on this one. And then in our second game of the day, we have the Blaze at the Bayhawks. Bayhawks are undefeated right now. Um, they're looking to remain on top. And then you have the Blaze, who are 2-1. and one. Who are you picking in this one? I'm taking the Bayhawks in this one. I just think their offense is firing all cylinders right now. And um, I don't think they're going to find the lost column just yet. Yeah, you know, I'm going to go with Bayhawks. There's just too much talent on that offense with Steele Stanwick and Lyle Thompson and Colin Heacock. And I just think the Bayhawks are going to come out with another win in this one. So then the battle of the winless teams will occur at 7.30 on Saturday, and that will be the Rattlers at the New York Lizards. Who do you think is going to get their first W of the year? Yeah, I think that this one, if you look at the rosters, if you didn't see this, the win columns and loss columns, you take the Lizards 10 out of 10 times just based off of uh, the players that they have. So I'm going to have to take the Lizards in this one. I know that might not be the smart pick, but um, I, I got to take them even with their offense not really clicking too much, it really being Pinnell and everyone else. They have Rob Pinnell, and the Rattlers don't, and I'm going to take them. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to you know go with the Lizards as well. You know, you got Pinnell and Malloy both on that, that squad, and uh, even Kevin Crowley as well, who's been kind of quiet since coming to New York, but maybe he'll have a bigger game. Um, I don't think we'll find out how good these two teams are by playing each other, but I think we might find out how bad one of them really is. So there's definitely a game to watch. So that concludes the MLL. Uh, There are no WPLL games, so we'll go to the PLL. That will be in Atlanta this weekend. And we actually have a Friday night game at 8 p.m. between the Atlas and the Archers. Who are you picking in this one? I'm going Archers getting back into the win column. Uh, based off of our interview with Will, they're pretty set on avenging those last two weeks. I'm taking the Archers this one, get back in the win column, and Atlas, unfortunately, fall uh, deeper in the standings. Yeah, I don't see the Marcus Holman and Tom Schreiber squad of the Archers really losing three straight, so I'm going to also go with the Archers in this one. I think it will be close. I think the Atlas are getting better, but in the end, I think the Archers will come out with the win. And now for our doubleheader on Saturday, we have the Chaos versus the Chrome. Who do you think is going to come on top on this one, Adam? You know, I'm behind in the standings when it comes to uh, our bet about wins and losses. I'm going a little bit different. I'm going the Chrome, shaking things up, making it chaotic against the Chaos, and and them getting their first win of the year. I think you're a fool for doing that. I think we're going to (laughs) see Coach Starza mow the lawn a little bit more. No, not that I don't think the Chrome have a chance in this game, but um, the Chaos are just, they're too good right now. Um, Like I said, I think they're the best team in the league. They're rolling right now, and they don't show any signs of slowing down anytime soon. So I'm picking Chaos. And for our final game of the week, we have the Redwoods at the Whipsnakes. Are the Whipsnakes going undefeated still, or are we going to see Jules getting some revenge against his former team? I say down goes Frazier. Whipsnakes finally get one in the lost column. Still stay in first place based off of my last uh, my last prediction, um, but I think the Redwoods, coming off a really strong week this week, move up into second place in the standings and get the first uh, victory against the Whip Snakes. I'm going Whip Snakes. I like the Redwoods. I like what I saw out of them, but um, you know, Coach Stagnita gets these boys to play and come out on top. Um, it's going to be a close one. I think this might be the best game of the weekend, honestly, given that these teams are so 
closely matched. You know, they, they get a lot of production out of their LSMs. Um, their attack has been real solid. It's going to definitely be an interesting game, um, but i got to go with the Whipsnakes. I think they're going to stay 5-0. and So that essentially concludes our podcast. We do want to tease a few things that are coming um, on the podcast next week as well as on the website. Um, we have a big interview on Tuesday. Do you want to tell them who it is, Adam? I'm so excited that we'll have U.S. player, current member of the WPLL fight, Kylie Oldmiller, on the pod to talk about Season 2 in the WPLL and all of her off-field efforts to grow the women's game. Yeah, no, obviously playing at a high level, just was on SportsCenter's Top 10. Great guest to be our first guest of this podcast, so we're really excited to have Kylie on um, and really appreciative of her agreeing to come on our podcast next week. We like to say, Adam, we're really the only ones talking about the WPLL. So other podcasts out there, uh, shots fired, you know. If you're going to talk about professional lacrosse, you need to start talking about the WPLL. Um, and we're going to continue talking about the women's game because it is an exciting brand of lacrosse, and we're really excited where the league is going. So um, we're excited to have Kylie on next week. Um, and we also have a few other things on our website. Um, we're going to have a 5 and 5 is a new segment where we ask five questions uh, that are lacrosse-related and five that are just life-related of our professional lacrosse players. Um, our first guest on that is going to be Ben Randall. Um, this is going to be just an article only, but we're excited to have Ben you know, answer some of our questions about his lacrosse career as well as you know, what he's doing outside of the game of lacrosse as well. So New York Lizards defenseman Ben Randall will be our first piece on the 5-5. Five and five. And we also want to remind you guys to send us questions. We had our first question mark this episode. Uh, We thought it went really well. Um, We love hearing your feedback. Just let us know. Feel free to review us. We are now on iTunes, so subscribe. Listen to us every week. Um, Tell us what we can improve on. We're we're pretty humble individuals here. We're willing to take feedback and improve. I know Adam and I in our lacrosse careers always were working hard on what we can improve in in our game, so we're taking the same approach to this podcast. Um, Let us know what we can improve on. We're not insulted by anything you have to say, so we're going to take it in strides and really make this the best podcast out there. So... Just to end, we're going to go into overtime. Adam, what are you looking forward to most this weekend? I'm most looking forward to, uh, I think, um, what the turnout's going to be um, in Atlanta for the PLL. It's been talked about for a long time that they're a hotbed uh, for lacrosse, and um, they have an MLL team already there in the plays, and I'm curious to see if there's going to be um, some rollover of MLL fans going out to these games and vice versa. So I'm super excited uh, to see what Georgia State has to offer from facilities purposes um, and to see what the turnout's like in Atlanta. Yeah, no, I, I think Atlanta's going to have a good turnout. I mean, I, I lived down there for four months in 2017, and, um, you know, the, the lacrosse is very big in that community. Um, and we have one of our social media contributors, Matthew Curtis, who's going to be at the game that weekend, um, you know, sharing some videos for our social channels, so definitely keep an eye out on that. I, I think it's going to be a, a great weekend for Atlanta lacrosse. Um, but the thing I'm most excited has got to be Jules Henningberg going up against his former team in the Whip Snakes. Yep. So right now, there's only two different groups that are undefeated. You got the Whip Snakes and Jules Henningberg, and one of these is not going to be undefeated after this weekend. So I think the Whip Snakes are going to go five and zero. You think Jules is going to? Go 5-0, and um, so we'll find out on Saturday. It'll be a great game, um, and a lot of just fun lacrosse games to watch this weekend as it has been all summer. So that wraps up Episode 4 of Pro Lacrosse Talk. Thank you guys for listening, and uh, we hope you enjoy this upcoming weekend of Pro Lacrosse.